like D&D fuels their imagination and makes them feel special while drawing them deeper and deeper into the bowels of El Diablo. Observe the previously unobservable. I'm attacking the darkness! (laughs) (laughs) Roll the dice to see if I'm getting drunk! Yeah, you are! Are there any girls there? Yeah! Anyone can play. I don't really know the rules. <laughs> Listen, there aren't any rules. It's a game of the imagination. Oh, okay. This is your character sheet. Your name is Titania. I don't know what any of this stuff means. I'll help you. I'm the dungeon master. I control worlds, universes. Okay, you guys can talk to each other now if you want. Welcome to episode 9 of DC RPG, the Hero Points podcast. I'm your host, Siskoid, and coming back from a year-long hiatus, Shag and I are bringing you a new kind of Hero Points episode, the character profile. This is where one of us calls up a friend who is known for loving a particular character or group of characters and explaining the character's DC hero stats to see how they match up to the character as depicted in the comics. For this inaugural episode, I've called one of the hosts of the Fire & Water Podcast Network, responsible for beloved shows such as Nightcast, but we're not talking about Batman, (laughs) Cheerscast, but we're not statting up Sam Malone, although that'd be interesting, and most relevantly, the power of fishnets. Uh, Yes, to talk about Black Canary and Zatanna as portrayed in the DC Heroes role-playing game. Welcome to the show, Ryan Daly. Thank you for having me, Cisco. It's been a long time. It's been a while. Do you have a relationship with tabletop role-playing games? Have you ever played anything? I I have, and so the first role-playing games I ever bought or collected was in the early 90s, right around the same time I started collecting comic books. The first time I actually played a role-playing game was like five or six years ago. The first games I bought were the Mutant Chronicles game. I don't know if you remember Mm. that. It was by Target Games. I I had to look that up to figure out what it was. Um, Yeah, I have the board game version. There was a board game version of it. There was a a card game of it called Doom Trooper. And I'm surprised that like this as an IP never took off and got bigger. I think they maybe made a movie or were trying to make a movie or something, but... um, yeah, like different like mega corporations, each with their own armies and everything, versus different kinds of like monsters and demons from the void of space. Um, just really cool stuff. I love that. But I was getting those books primarily for the art and for the stories inside, and I would come up with ideas and characters, but I never actually played the game. I didn't have the patience for it, or, or the. I am my friends. We liked other things, but we didn't get into that. And then in college. I got a bunch of Star Wars role-playing game material, uh, and mm-hmm. even some of like the White Wolf, like World of Darkness, like Vampire the Masquerade, and Werewolf, and Orpheus, and things like that. But again, I was getting them primarily for the literature component and the art component, um, because in college, as it relates to Star Wars, I was part of an online community that sort of did a part role-playing game, like a written-based, text-based role-playing game and part fan-fiction sort of type of thing. Sure, play-by-email. Yeah, 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 so, yeah, yeah. We had, like, a, a form, like, with, like, you know, like, the, the whole kind of, like, that base and everything. But, like, the first time I actually played, like, D&D was five or six years ago, um, mm. and I actually, I found, like, a, a group... Um, and we were, we had fun, you know, we, we, and of course, knowing all these things, I felt like I, I knew the stats, I was familiar with it. So I, like, it was my first time playing, but I didn't feel like a novice or anything like that. Um, and right. we had a good game going for a couple of years of, of different types of things like that. So 
yeah, I, I mean, I am. I know the basics of of role playing and everything like that. I haven't been playing that long. But DC Heroes, no, no, I have no experience with this one other than just listening to you and Shag talk about it and your discussions. But I haven't played it now. Let's demystify <laughs> two uh, uh, very different characters, actually, in terms of gameplay, if not fashion. Uh, we'll start with Black Canary, uh, folks. You can follow along at fireandwaterpodcast.com, where I will have posted a small image gallery showing the stats we're using, uh, in this case, from the Who's Who Roleplaying Supplement, published by Mayfair Games. And Ryan, it, it's up to you to, to gauge if, if these are true to the comics, and you're the expert on these two characters. Okay. <laughs> I'll do, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll do my best, yeah. How does Black Canary compare? Well, first, in terms of attributes, uh, and note that a normal person on the street normally has a two in everything. And also remember that the point system is exponential, so that a three is twice as much as a two, a four is twice as much as a three, and so on. So that Black Canary can exist in the same universe as Superman, you know, and, right, and right, then right. Superman doesn't have hundreds of points in every stat. I'll explain a bit what the attributes mean so that people can, can see, and then what the numbers mean mm-hmm. on this. And then you can you can tell me if that sounds about right. So dexterity, uh, if we look at the nine stats, dexterity is a character's agility and nimbleness. It's what you use to see if you want to can hit something or right. dodge something. She has a seven. So a seven, uh, according to the benchmark tables, is an individual that is agile enough to be a medal-winning Olympic gymnast. Technically, so she's in the same range as the question or the huntress. Yeah, I, I, and I think that sounds about right for her. I mean, I would put her in like uh, even close to whatever Robin's level is. I, I'm not sure which Robin they were gauging at this point in time, but uh, yeah, I mean, she would be uh, of superior athleticism and agility and everything because her primary focus, her primary attack, and her gimmick at this time was. Her martial arts background, her skills with judo and jujitsu and, and other sorts of unarmed fighting combat. So she would need, this would have to be probably her strongest attribute. Well, yes, it is. And uh, I, I guess she's uh, maybe, uh, if we go by exponentials, like Nightwing is twice as agile or dexterous as she is, or Blue Beetle has an eight rather than a seven. So those, those characters really do seem to spin in the air kind of thing, and she doesn't, right? So, okay. Yeah, she's not like this, you know, jumping off of rooftops and, you know, swinging off of like a, a, a fire escape type of thing. It's more in the realm of like the combat athletics type of thing rather than the sort of the other, you know, racing across, you know, a, a speeding train type of thing. Her strength is is exactly what it sounds like, and it's a four. So this is a person with exceptional human strength, equivalent to that of a professional weightlifter, they say. But of course, in terms of fighting, is that her blows are are those of a boxer or something? So that makes sense, or yeah, yeah. Again, she's her primarily is fighting, but as a woman, I mean, physiologically, she is smaller and has less muscle mass than a lot of her male counterparts. So she wouldn't be just as naturally as strong as Wildcat or Batman or, you know, somebody else who, who she might have trained with just on the physical musculature side of things. So, yeah, a four for strength sounds appropriate. And I don't think you can get much beyond five uh, as a human being without powers right. anyway. The, the body is the last physical attribute. That's your endurance and your general resistance to damage. You know, it's her hit points, <laughs> more or less. It's not a game with hit points, but this is it. She's got a five which is at the upper end of human potential. You do still have Batman who has like a six. And this is as much as Green Arrow. 
to get to give you a uh, a sort of benchmark. And it just means that she's conditioned to withstand the greatest amount of physical damage humanly possible. Yeah, and that sounds right. I mean, if she's going to be joining the Justice League of America in, you know, action and fighting and everything like that, she's, you know, you want to come pretty close to maxing out her physical characteristics and attributes. That's true. Mental attributes. Now, intelligence is the ability to think rapidly uh, and your basic general knowledge and education. And she here, she has a six, which is about the same as Wonder Girl or Fire in the JLI. But it's perhaps most useful to, to use Green Arrow as a benchmark because they're always partnered up. And he's got a seven. So she's technically half as smart as he is. But if I flip through the game book, uh, I find that she's twice as smart as most Titans or twice as smart as most JLE members, <laughs> just to give you an idea. So a six means that the individual has the ability to process information on the level of the industrious college student. Gosh, it's it's hard thinking of Green Arrows being that smart when you look at all <laughs> his, his history. Then again, she has the blind spot for him. She keeps dating him and marrying him, despite the fact that I don't think they're a great couple. So maybe she's <laughs> not that. I guess I would be fine with this. I mean, would I want Green Arrow and Black Canary to be of equal intelligence? Probably. I mean, yeah. I mean, if this is Dinah Laurel Lance, if this is the second generation Black Canary, I mean, she does come from a family of cops and detectives and people with, you know, like detective and private investigative backgrounds. I think that would like, you know, kind of rub off on her. So I think she is pretty crafty and streetwise, but yeah, I, I would be okay with a six um, rather than bump her up to a seven. I, I might say that Green Arrow should be down to a six too, but yeah, it's that's splitting hairs. I, I agree. Maybe it's Green Arrow that's badly statted out. <laughs> Will, or it's like a willpower, is your ability to draw conclusions. So it's also part of intelligence in a way, right? It's applied right. intelligence. And it's also willpower. So you know, you know Green Lantern has a lot. But she has a five, which is the same range as Blue Beetle or Booster Gold. Uh, more or less, and a five here would mean the individual has exceptional self-discipline and can remain rational and calm during a crisis. Again, she, you know, she dated and married Green Arrow, so <laughs> it's, it's hard to say. Um, I think for the era in which this book came out, that was probably a pretty good gauge of her. You know, certainly later in like the two thousands, once you know she was in the Birds of Prey. Chuck Dixon and Gail Simone really kind of delved more into her background and especially her, her training as a martial arts master and how good she is. That would have included the mental component in terms of like willpower and, and reasoning and sort of just mental fortitude. So uh, that mm. might bump her up. But I think probably based on the stories that had been published with her up until this point, uh, Will 5 is probably accurate, yeah. Yeah, we're post-Longbow uh, Hunters here. Is, okay, is yeah. The general time frame of these uh, particular stats. Although they haven't changed much since the previous iteration, which was her JLI years. Mm -hmm. The only difference is the Canary Cry, and we'll get sure, to that. Sure, yeah, yeah. Uh, mind is your your resistance stat for uh, for mental stats. It's a measure of uh, her resistance to mental stress. So she has a 5 here, too. Uh, which means uh, the individual has a... The person's mind is equipped to deal with great stress as a part of daily life. Undercover agents, leaders of nations, most heroes fit in this category. She has the same as Green Arrow. And this seems right, based on your descriptions of, you know, like, having to, you know, infiltrate gangs or sneak around, you know, like, uh, the basics of being part of the Justice League and going up against the fights that they go up against. I mean, you, you have to be able to keep your wits about you and, and sort of 
resist as much, you know, mental attack as possible. Although, I mean, she certainly, she could be brainwashed as, as much as, you know, Blue Beetle or Booster Gold could. So that's not really a, a surprise. I think that's probably a, a good stat. Looking at social stats, or they call them mystical stats, uh, that'll make more sense with Zatanna. But here, um, she has influence. So this is the power of a character's presence and personality. Uh, you would use it in persuasion, interrogation, intimidation, uh, that sort of thing. She has a six, about the same as Booster Gold or Wildcat. A six means that uh, she has a level of influence that can hold and draw the attention of a large audience, is, is how they describe it. But I don't, I mean, she's not a show person. What do you think of this uh, comparison to, um, to those heroes? I, I think this is probably pretty accurate, although she wouldn't captivate their attention or she wouldn't draw it the same way Booster Gold and, uh, and Wildcat would. But Dinah is supposed to be beautiful. And um, whether it's natural blonde or whether she's wearing a wig, the costume is meant to make her look sexual and provocative and everything. She's she's supposed to be a looker that men kind of do a double take when she walks into a room. So in terms of just for, for an influence stat of being able to capture a room's attention, I think this is probably pretty apt. Now, whether that translates to getting information maybe through seduction or flirting or something rather than intimidation. Um, yeah, I, I think that could work. Maybe it would be bumped up a little bit higher, but I think a six is pro- probably fine. I'm not sure if that was their intention of how that, but that that's how I would interpret that stat if I was playing this character. Aura is the next one. Aura is how well, once you've captured their attention, you can affect their actions. Uh, so how convincing are you? And so here she gets a six again, which is basically the same as Mr. Miracle or Aquaman. And um, it basically means that uh, you can change emotion, the emotional status of an auditorium-sized <laughs> crowd of people from dead calm to electrified frenzy. Well, maybe this is the Black Canary that was in a band. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the benchmark is... Seems inappropriate for what Black Black Canary does. If I was playing her in a game or using this or, or running a game with her, I would use that more for sort of like a kind of, you know, friendly flirtation or, or casual sort of seduction in order to turn someone to be kind of like her agent in like, you know, a crime investigation type of thing or so. Yeah, bring like a um, an informant or something onto her side, maybe something along those lines. I don't know that she could get a whole room, <laughs> a whole auditorium to suddenly do act against their will. That seems a little extreme for her. Spirit, then, is a reflection of the character's spiritual resolve and how difficult they are to to be convinced, essentially. And uh, they've given Black and Area 5, which is what they give most heroes. It means that the person is so secure in their beliefs that uh, they are willing to die for them. Yeah, I mean, like, who, who else would have a comparable 5 for this? Like, who would she be compared against? Oh, Huntress, Fire, Cyborg, Booster Gold. They say most heroes. Uh, just getting into the the superhero game requires that level of belief in something. I would find, assuming that she's fairly average in this in this area, like that she doesn't necessarily have a greater call to action than the average superhero. I mean, she's got her reasons, but uh, yeah, this this is, I, I'm fine with this. Then their skills. Obviously, the character like this needs skills. We start with acrobatics. Five. Five is expert level. It means better than most professionals. I'm fine with this one. Well, because of a skill that's coming up later, I'm fine with this just being a sort of like expert level, like acrobatics, and it doesn't need to be any more than that. Again, she's not, you know, swinging off trapeze the same way other other characters are. I think this is a pretty good stat for her at her level. Then is artist, and they've only given her, given her actor. So acting five, also expert. 
uh, obviously. And uh, this is because there is a little text there that mentions that she is at this point a master of disguise, which is how this stat relates. Was she was she that much of an expert in? Uh... I feel like that would maybe be more appropriate for the Golden Age Black Canary, who had to go undercover a little bit more often. I mean, you know, just like keeping a secret identity. At this point, I don't know how often she had to do that, but I mean, she's still from time to time she would you know change her wig or cha- apply like makeup and go undercover. It, in the Silver and Bronze Age, I don't remember her up utilizing that as a technique that often, but I think it would be in her repertoire as a kind of background, uh, certainly more for the Golden Age Black Canary. Maybe I'm just like, I'm forgetting something from the Mike Grell era, but... Yeah, maybe they brought him back more to the street level, and maybe that's where it fits. Um, similarly, she has Detective, and Detective 6, which means, uh, well, Detective is processing clues and so on, and 6 means that she is a renowned expert, that basically the character's name comes up in discussion when uh, we talk about the skill. So she's known as a detective. Is that true? For comparison, where it is, like, what are Batman's or Ralph Dibney's, you know, stats at this level? Batman's got like a 12 or something. Yeah, sure. <laughs> um, what about Green Arrow? Like, what's his detective level? Let me reach for it. Um, so Green Arrow is uh, has Detective 6, the same. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. I mean, these were in the Bronze Age when they had their own stories, Green Arrow and Black Canary, you know, in World's Finest or in Action Comics and everything. They were, they were private investigators, they were detectives, they were, you know, kind of general street-level crime fighters. So I think it makes sense that, you know, this would be... This was their rep, you know, they weren't Sherlockian-level detectives. They go and they break up, you know, crime dens or, or human trafficking, things like that. So I think that, that detective level would be closer to where they're at. You know, they, they solve missing persons cases and kidnap victims. So uh, a renowned detective who, you know, the, the police kind of know about, uh, I think that's that's a good fit for her. All right. And then finally, it's martial arts. Uh, martial artist eight which means she's a world-class expert, one of the very best. In game turns, it also means that she can strike as hard as Aquaman or take hits from knives and bats, because that's what martial arts does. It basically can replace that eight into your physical stats to achieve greater feats of fighting. So what do you think about that? I like it. I, I think this is a good one for, for her to have like at her highest level. It should be her martial arts skill training. I mean, it was always kind of assumed that she was that good because this was a character who was powerless when she was with the Justice League and the Justice Society before that. She had her canary cry, but for a long time she couldn't control that or she didn't know how to use it. She didn't get into those teams because she had a sonic scream. She got into those teams because of her fighting capabilities and her martial arts background. Um, and I did like when Gail Simone took over Birds of Prey like 10 years after this was published. You know, she made a point of saying, Lady Shiva actually made a point of addressing the fact that, you know, Black Canary, her name is, you know, whispered among the circles of the greatest, like, top 10 level martial arts backgrounds. And, like, she she should be honored that, you know, she, she has that status. She was certainly one of the hard hitters on uh, Justice League Unlimited when they started to, to do, like, camera shakes when yeah. people got hit. <laughs> uh, Black Canary was there, was, was the character. We can talk about the Canary Cry a bit because at this point she's lost it. But the Who's Who page does discuss it if, in case you want to play that era. Uh, and it's very simply the power Sonic Beam. Makes sense. Uh, the original books rated it as an 8, but here they, it's re- been revised uh, to a 10, uh, which means it disables most humans at a range of 500 yards. Uh, and according to the rules, it should be enough to break through concrete. Does that sound right? I mean, a focused attack. She has 
yeah, it is, she has been shown depicting knocking down walls with her attack when she's okay. really like letting loose. Somebody went through all the comics. Like, <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, and she does have equipment here. Six knives hidden on her somewhere. And they have the normal stats for knives. There's just nothing special there uh, that she can throw as far as four APs, which means 100, 150 feet. It's a pretty uh, That's a- strong throw. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I don't think of her as a knife throwing expert, because, but is this, this is uh, Mike Grell era. Black Canary, I suppose. I I guess I don't remember that coming up a lot, but maybe I'm I'm drawing a blank. It's been it's been a while since I've read those issues or listened to the uh, the Warlord Worlds podcast covering those. Even though she's never really been depicted at it, like in my head canon, I would think that Black Canary, just through proximity of living with us, I think she would be a pretty good archer. Like obviously. Green Arrow is the greatest, and, like, below him, you know, like, Roy Harper and, like, the people who he has trained as his sidekicks would be, like, the second best. But, like, among, like, the other members of the Justice League, Batman obviously would be a good archer because he's trained at everything. Wonder Woman, I think, would be a really, because that was part of her lifestyle growing up on the island. But I think, I think Black Canary, just from living with Ollie and sort of picking up what he does, I think she would have some game with a bow and arrow. Uh, well, I, I, I just saw it because uh, in a, a recent Fire and Water team-up, there was a sequence where Black Canary and uh, Oracle were training with the bow. So, oh, okay. Yeah, at least Birds of Prey era. Okay. <laughs> I don't even remember that. But yeah, okay. So that, yeah, maybe that's where I got it. Um, okay. Well, let's look at some advantages that she has. Uh, she, at this point in her career, has area knowledge for Seattle. Goodbye, Star City. <laughs> right. They just, yeah, just replaced one <laughs> for the other. And uh, high-level connections to Green Arrow and the JLI, which means that she can call on their help readily. Right. And that's all they gave her. What's missing here is attractive, yeah. which is an advantage in the game. And I always wondered, uh, and we'll have the same problem with Zatanna later, uh, who you may or may not think should have attractive as well. But the idea is that in the game, the advantage means you can use sex appeal to persuade members of the opposite sex. or right. as an old school way of saying it. Of the opposite attractional axis, whatever. Right. So, are we to understand that Black Canary and Zatanna just don't do that? I, I because would. I mean, you seem it, to be. That's what you would do with the the character if you were playing her. <laughs> right. I mean, you know, the nature of these superhero comics. Uh, it's I, the comparison would be like a Michael Bay movie or the CW shows or uh, Fast and Furious. Everybody is a little bit more attractive, more beautiful, more exotic looking than uh, the average people you come across on the street. You know, like these the superheroes really win the genetic library, lottery and not just being, you know, great fighters and everything. They're also super sexy and beautiful kind of across the board, male and female. But Black Canary in particular, like her, she she's not to Wonder Woman's level. I think Wonder Woman should be the most beautiful woman on Earth. But Black Canary is pretty damn sexy. And again, getting back to what I was saying with some of her earlier skills, she can draw your attention. She can suck you in and kind of like, she can get you to do things based on her sex appeal. So I would have put that as one of her advantages. Zatanna, maybe, but that could also be folded into just her natural kind of showmanship and charisma as a performer. So it's kind of, it's harder, yeah. I feel like I've read so many Zatanna stories where she is more, you know, Black Canary is usually in in couples with Green Arrow. Mm -hmm. So she's not, she's not actually prowling. But Zatanna is not in a, normally in a relationship. So she's, you know, she's uh, in Justice League Detroit. She's kind of... Sexing it up with Dale Gunn, and then then uh, one of Zatanna's first appearances, one of her first appearances with the Justice League, Superman was like, "Damn, 
<laughs> like he was on monitor duty and he was thinking about her and it's like if you can get, if you can get you know tight ass Superman to think that way yeah I, I definitely think she's pretty attractive to me I think Zathanna also deserves this but yeah. in both cases the game decided not to give them that and maybe they're looking at a different you know uh, yeah I mean it's again it's whether or not it's an advantage to be used sort of tactically versus just she just happens to be beautiful she just happens to be sexy looking I guess that's maybe that was the distinction they were making in the book I don't know they only give her uh, one drawback and that it is a secret identity uh, that she must keep so at this point I I guess (laughs) yeah it never seemed like it was that big of a deal yeah no I know because they're just such professional superheroes but if she's running a flower shop right uh, maybe she doesn't want to get crashed by uh, villains (laughs) that property insurance in Seattle I'm sure. (laughs) A couple more things before we move on. Her motivation here is seeking justice, which is the same as Batman's uh, or Green Arrow's at this point, uh, which means they're they're ready to break the law to achieve their ends. They're vigilantes, Mm -hmm. basically. Yeah, and that that works. I mean, she's She's a legacy hero at this point. You know, her her mom was a superhero, but she also comes from a long line of crime fighters and police and private detectives. And so she's kind of got that in her blood, you know, that that's, that sense of service and, and duty to protect the innocent and to avenge wrong, evildoers. So. Right. And uh, her wealth is rated at five APs, which in late 1980s and early 90s money means uh, she had an annual income of forty thousand uh, dollars. In her own business, she didn't just work there. I mean, yeah. she, she's a business owner, and so okay. And I think I, I think actually her home was right above the flower shop, so you know she owned, she owned that whole building. In general, Black Canary up to snuff. Yeah, yeah, I think these are pretty good. Um, the the stats like. If I was, I mean, I could make a case for why they they would argue if I was going to change any of them, it would be like one, maybe uh, sliding up or down. And really, that's, again, it's kind of, it's splitting hairs in a lot of cases. Yeah, the the equipment, the knives is the one thing that jumps out at me is is seeming, I was like, I I mean, I guess she could conceal knives, but I don't remember her doing that. But it's possible that I'm just forgetting a Mike Grell story or, yeah, yeah, like the weird wings on her blue jazzercise costume. Did she ever use those as throwing weapons? I don't remember. This is dated. I mean, that's the one bit that seems like it's not part of the iconic Black Canary. It seems like they just, like that would be the type of thing to throw her in. It's like, well, she needs some kind of weapon, and she, it's got to be like a melee fighting weapon, so just give her a knife. It's like, ah, all right. All right, well, we'll take a short break, and we'll be back with Ryan to discuss the other fishnet-wearing heroine that stole his heart, Zatanna. Woo! Batman Nightcast, a thrilling new podcast from the Fire & Water Podcast Network. Hosted by Ryan Daly and Chris Franklin. Nightcast chronicles the Cape Crusaders' adventures in Batman and Detective Comics after Crisis on Infinite Earths. Highlights from this legendary era include Batman number 400, Legends, Mike Barr and Alan Davis, Batman Year One, Batman Year Two, Max Allen Collins, Ugh. Um, the new Jason Todd, Ugh. Millennium? You're not doing this right. Let me take over. Alan Grant and Norm Brayfogle. Alan Grant from Jurassic Park? Did you hear me say Norm freaking Brayfogle? Oh, yeah. Son of the Demon. The Killing Joke. A Death in the Family. Batman Year 3. A Lonely Place of Dying. Alan Grant, Alan Davis, Max Allen Collins. Why are there so many people named Alan from this era of Batman? The Rise of Tim Drake. Legends of the Dark Knight. And that's just up until 1989. Did anything exciting happen with Batman after that? You'll have to tune in to find out. Batman Nightcast, part of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. Find it on iTunes and at fireandwaterpodcast.com. 
Oh, we forgot to mention your favorite issue, when Batman fires Dick Grayson. You want to find another co-host? We're back, and we're looking at Zatanna. Uh, first, let's go through those attributes. We don't need to explain them all all over again. Uh, but her dexterity is a six, half of Black Canaries, <laughs> I suppose, which puts her in the same range as Robin. Does that sound right? Uh, I mean, yeah. She's not renowned for, you know, using her, her physical presence, her agility, and her fighting style that much. She never had to necessarily rely on that. Just, I mean, being on the super teams that she's been in, she would have to train and be, you know, as, you know, as physically fit as possible. So she would be, she'd be pretty tough. They compare her to, um, stuntmen or even circus aerialists. <laughs> I mean, so that's pretty impressive. I mean, again, you're, you're going well beyond the average of what a normal human would be doing. So I would be fine with saying that she was a six. That, that would be possibly even higher than I would think. Well, maybe any character that flies has to have a certain measure of, Agility and physical, you know, you're doing wire work. Yeah, per- yeah, perhaps. Maybe. Uh, her strength is three, again, half as uh, strong as Black Canary. Uh, but it's just beyond, basically beyond what a normal person, like if I'm a two, well, I'm probably less than a two. <laughs> <laughs> if we're twos, then uh, someone with a certain superhero training might have a three, and that that's her level of strength. And that sounds that sounds fine for me. Again, she's not like a physical powerhouse. She she's not somebody who gets into like scraps and like throws hands unless she needs to. You know that that is not her primary offensive or defensive you know weapon. And her body, which is her endurance resistance, is a five, just like Dinah's. Yeah, and if that's sort of like the standard for the superhero set, you know that what they need in order to. To get to to do the jobs they do, I'm fine with that. Yeah, that seems right. All right, let's look mental. Uh, intelligence rates at nine in this case, which means she's a basically a world authority in a subject. I'll let you guess which one. <laughs> we all know she's a world class oncologist. Yeah, no, uh, like she would be. She would be an expert. I mean, in matters of the occult and mysticism, um, as well as perhaps even like like practical stagecraft, showmanship, things like that, performance. So yeah, she, that that makes sense that she would have an expertise and an intelligence that level for what just the, the knowledge of Arcana that she has to have just to kind of work with what she does. Her willpower is the same as Dinah's, so a five. I'm fine with that. And her mind is a six, which means she can take twice the mental stress Black Canary can. And she would need that again for, I mean, to be able to cast spells, illusions, different types of like magic things and, and maintain that level of concentration. Just the basic mechanics of the way she casts spells with having to, to speak a, a type of verse, a type of language that is not even like unknown, but kind of unnatural, kind of goes against the basic, like the, the linguistic training that we have to say things in reverse or backwards that way. Uh, that takes a lot of mental conditioning and effort in order to just not trip yourself up. I mean, imagine if she, imagine if she had some sort of like basic speech impediment or like got like tongue tied or something when she's doing her things and casts some horrible accidental monstrous creature on accident. Well, the mystical stats here, they do become more mystical because they have, you know, they're social, but they also have something to do with your power to wield magic. But in the case of influence, it's it's mostly social, so she's rated at an eight. She's the same range as Green Arrow and Queen Hippolyta. It says, uh, and an eight would mean that uh, she has her personality is so unique as to be highly regarded by several people across a nation or a state. 
And Green Arrow is at this level? Yes. I mean... Uh, well, Green Arrow was the mayor of a city. Yo, I mean, you know. Okay. I mean, yeah, he, he, was, he came from old money. He was a wealthy guy. Or you know, at this point, we're talking really charismatic. So, Zatanna, I mean, she's the princess daughter of a, of like the homo magi, as well as, you know, a, an old school, you know, stage magician, everything. She would be well known. She would, she would be able to capture attention. She would be, she's very, I I think naturally she's supposed to be a little bit exotic looking. Yeah. I I think I would be fine with her being eight. Just Oliver Queen being at an eight too, just seems really weird. (laughs) If we look at the rest, uh, here the stats seem bloated because her aura is 14. We're really talking about, you know, if these are stats to convince people, for magic users, it, you're trying to convince reality to bend to your will. Yeah. Is, is essentially the idea. So at, at Aura 14, she can gain the respect of even legendary figures and sway the opinions of beings of great mystical power. Uh, so she's in the same range as Arion or Cersei. When she says Namtab Pots... Batman's got a stop on a dime, so that's... <laughs> it works. Uh, Spirit is 13, which means she can endure attacks from master sorcerers and uh, deal with traumatic supernatural catastrophes routinely. Uh, so they compare her to Amethyst. And that sounds pretty right to me. I mean, she she would need the sort of defensive capabilities the, the same way. It would have to be pretty close to what she's able to do actively or offensively. Uh, can I can I just ask if it's not too mm-hmm. difficult for like can you compare the this bottom row of stats or attributes to other magic users like a Doctor Fate or Constantine or the Spectre or somebody else? If we look at uh, Doctor Fate, this is JLI era Doctor Fate. Okay, he's got eleven influence, sixteen aura, and thirteen spirit, just uh, like her. So similar resistance, but higher stats overall for wielding magic. I mean, I, I, I definitely think he is stronger in magic than she is, and he would have, he should have a higher aura. I guess he is the principal magic user. I mean, like, and he, he's got the helmet, he strikes an imposing form, and, and Zatanna even still is, is supposed to be fairly young, too. So, okay, alright. Like, you don't want to get into trouble with the Phantom Stranger, he's got 18, 25, 20, <laughs> or the Spectre, 15, 20, 12. I, it would surprise me if they, that they were playable characters. I would think that they would be. <laughs> uh, well, let's look at powers, because how do you simulate Zatanna's spells? Uh, well, first, there's a limitation that covers them all. I don't know if people who play Zatanna roleplay this or, you know, just hand wave it away. You know, Zatanna must speak all of her spells aloud and backwards. She cannot use any of her powers if she's unable to fulfill this condition. So obviously, if she can't speak, she can't cast spells. Right. That's probably how people are, are playing it. But um, reverse speak, full props to players who do it. And I, I like this aspect. I mean, I like characters who have built-in limitations or, or built-in problems with their, their powers. Like like Rogue is a good example for the X-Men that she can't control what she's capable to do. I mean, and, and Cyclops, like a lot of a lot of mutant characters have this kind of like built-in problem that is related to their power. And I like the fact that there is a... There's something that I like about all sort of magic characters, that there is a mechanical aspect. You have to be able to perform certain things in order to break reality and, or, and able to do this magic thing. So I like the fact that she has to speak and she has to speak a certain way. These are all really cool things. Having said that, in the um, graphic novel Black Canary and Zatanna by Paul Dini, um, they did actually do like a little bit of a retcon where uh, Zatanna knows uh, ASL, American Sign Language, and she can actually cast spells if she can sign them in reverse. Oh. 
I thought that was just a really cool way of getting like when they were captured by like dark sides like uh like female furies uh, on apocalypse and she was tied up and she was gagged but she could actually cast a spell with her hands and her fingers backwards. I thought that was a really cool way of getting out of it. Now does that does that break the situation because I do like the fact that she would have to speak the spell she in order to cast it. So it, it's tough. It's a it depends on the yeah. situation. In the game, probably this would be, have been a like a one shot trick mm-hmm. that uh, would have cost hero points. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To make happen, so um, I would have totally <laughs> accepted it as a solution. Maybe with some sort of like unforeseen drawback, like if there's some kind of consequence to it that the hero doesn't know about right away. Yeah, that, that's cool. And then, well, the game contends that most of the effects we see uh, her create are basic elemental stuff. So they've given her air control, earth control, flame control, flame project. Ice control, plant control, water control, and weather control, all rated at 10, which again, should be able to get through concrete uh, if you need a damage benchmark. And they're all mystically linked, which means that she can make them do mystical damage instead for those fights with magical beings. Mm -hmm. But for all those times she's done something outside of that, she has sorcery, 16, sorcery 16. And that power is costly. You can simulate any power with it. Uh, energy blast, force field, flight, communicate with the dead. It doesn't matter what, you know, any power. Mm-hmm. But the more powerful the effect, the more taxing it is to the hero. So she could take psychic damage from the attempt. If you use sorcery, those are effects that are taxing and are rare, uh, while all the basic elemental stuff she can do often and without effort. Does that sound like what Zatanna does in the comics? Yeah, yeah, that does actually sound right. And I, I mean, I understand, like, they, I mean, she can really do whatever she can put her mind to in terms of the, but in order to build a mechanic for that within the game, you kind of have to slot things into certain categories. So the, the air control or fire control or ice control, whatever sort of elemental aspects of that, you know, you create your own little drop down menus and fill that in with whatever spell that she's trying to accomplish and slide that into. And those are fine. And those are things that, yeah, are, come to her pretty effortlessly after as much training as she's had. But the other things that you mentioned when it gets into sorcery, I mean, I think no matter who the character is and what their level of, if you're doing something that is really unique, like communicating with the dead or trying to break down dimensional barriers or or retrieving something uh, dangerous, that should have costs. There should be a drawback to that, and it should be damaging physically or psychically to the character who does it. Because otherwise, just in terms of proper storytelling, if there's if there's no nothing then that then what what actual threat are they ever really up against? Because you can do anything. Exactly. Yeah. You break the world. So the other bit of magic she can do is ritual magic. And that's covered by the occultist skill here rated at nine. Uh, this is your basic expertise in magical affairs. Uh, well, basic. At nine, she's impossibly knowledgeable uh, in the discipline, uh, by which I mean we're into purely comic book levels <laughs> of ability. You know, later later Zatanna, I think, maybe is a lot like this. When she pals around with John Constantine or in the Seven Soldiers of Victory stuff. Yeah, yeah. You see her sitting down and doing what seems to be practical magic right i mean yeah certainly like in the beginning of her story and she has had quite a big arc for her character considering when she was created at the beginning of the silver age you know she barely knew she didn't really know her mother she wasn't part of that like she didn't really get access to meeting Cindella and the other homo magi until she joined the justice league of america 
Uh, and then, you know, we saw how that deepened and developed her own magic abilities. But certainly, yeah, the, the ones that you dropped, like, by the time we got to, like, the Seven Soldiers of Victory, I mean, she, she you know, had access to all of the, you know, occult and sorcery books and everything like that. She was a not just a student, but a practitioner and a master of some of these things. So that, mm-hmm. that feels... Uh, appropriate. Uh, I mean, I don't, again, if she's a cultist nine, I don't know where you put somebody like a uh, Dr. Fate or, or other like, or Phantom Stranger, if they're like off the charts. Well, Dr. Fate has a cultist 10, which is yeah. <laughs> just twice as much. The one thing I'm maybe missing here is I, I might've given her uh, an artist. Yeah. In terms of, for, uh, for performance, for performance. I mean, basically, I mean, sleight of hand tricks. I mean, she, you know, the, the pulling of the, because a lot of, well, and I, I'm not sure it depends on the era or whether or not this is canon, but a lot of stories have asserted the fact that when she is performing on stage, she is not using magic. Um, and it depends on the story. It depends on the source. But there is certainly a component where if she had no ability, of, if she was not descended from the homo magic, if she couldn't do that, she would still be a world-class stage performer like that because of the practical everyday sleight of hand chicanery and an illusion type of tricks that she could able to do. So I think that would be definitely fall into one of her skills or, or, or powers or something. I, I, yeah, that that's the biggest thing that they're missing. She should have something mm-hmm. based on performance or, you know, um, you know, a sort of sleight of hand or, or kind of conjuration might fall into to kind of give her a bonus thing. Like uh, something simple, like, like a pickpocketing type of thing. Uh, she would be good at. Right. Thief. Uh, the thief skill. Yeah. Uh, no, yeah, it's too bad. Uh, maybe you know, a lot of the Zatanna stories that, that play into the, the stagecraft come after this point. And as a superhero, she didn't do much of this. Right. For this era, I mean, this is after she'd been on the league for a long time. She's, you know, she's really dropping the fishnets and tuxedo performance costume. She's in more of the the uh, the superhero George Perez costume. Uh, in advantages, not attractive. Boo. Uh, and she has... Uh, <laughs> okay, wait, wait. Con- attractive is missing from the advantage. It doesn't say she's not attractive. <laughs> no, yeah, right. <laughs> uh, and she has uh, high-level connections to the Justice League of America and Earth's mystical community, uh, and a low connection to John Constantine, because he doesn't really readily help anyone <laughs> ever, so he's, right. he's always a low connection. Right. Uh, and in this case, it would mean that J- John would never provide all the information she needs or anything like that. He would be unreliable. Right, right. Uh, and she also has a magical background, which is a necessity to be able to take sorcery. You can't take sorcery without it, and it's normal for a member of the Homo Magi. All this makes sense? Yeah. And she has no drawbacks in this game. Hmm. Actually, if this was written today, her drawback would be John Constantine. (laughs) (laughs) Anytime he's in the story, she knows she shouldn't sleep with him. She really knows she shouldn't sleep with him, but she's going to sleep with him again. Her motivation, uh, aside from uh, sleeping with John Constantine, is (laughs) upholding the good, uh, which makes her a straight arrow, law-abiding, the same way Superman is, Mm -hmm. uh, and that she would probably do good works even if she didn't have any powers. I mean, she's is all about uh, upholding order from chaos, you know. A protector of reality. The natural, yeah. yeah, state. And her wealth is rated at 5 APs, same as Dinah, uh, which means her stage magician act nets her 40000 a year, more or less. <laughs> yeah, cool. I wish I could do it. She's no pen and teller, but uh, she's doing well for herself. 
So how did Zatanna do generally? Um, I, again, I think these are pretty solid, with the the obvious exception of like what, like the performance aspect of it and what that could add to her her skills or her power. But like, it's the same as Black Canary. If I was going to split hairs and like like contend with one of her skill stats, it would be one up or down. So it's really not a big deal. I think this is, these are pretty solid stats for her characters. Like her power got the mag- magical powers. She's not a physical powerhouse. She's not a fighter. She's she's you know she's got some game because you know if you're gonna you know be on the same team as Batman and Green Arrow and these characters, you've got to be able to fight and throw a punch. But she's not. That's not her go-to. That's not what you would depend on her for. She has it in spades where she needs it, which is her her casting abilities and her sorcery. And interestingly, we didn't mention it because these don't really mean anything necessarily. But both fishnet characters have seventy-five hero points, mm-hmm. which yeah, is no, basically, so. basically their pool of luck and and sort of when they can push the limit. Uh, but it, you can look at it and say, well, this is the level of experience of the character and the relative power so that you would, okay, who who's a good match? Who could be around the table at the same time? Uh, do we want Black Canary at 75 hero points with Superman at 250 hero <laughs> points? Okay, well, no, we can see that right from the hero points right. that these guys are working on a different scale. Of course, they play in the same team, but still. Uh, but Zatanna and Black Canary, even... So, uh, similar power level. What about their initiative? What is that stat for? Because it says Zatanna's initiative is 23 and Dinah's is 21. Yeah, this is the, uh, basically they add the, the three action stats. So your dex, intelligence, and influence yep. are added together. Plus, uh, you, you can have bonuses, like martial artist gives you plus two. Mm-hmm. Makes you a little faster, a little more response. The idea is that characters, like, they have a better response time and move more quickly in the game if they have a higher initiative stat. They're smart influent and physically uh, fast yeah all right well that that's it thanks for playing along ryan uh what's next for you on the fw podcast network oh my gosh i actually before we got on this recording i i blocked out at this point if i don't add anything else to my schedule i've got 20 more shows before the end of the calendar year um so of the year okay of the year, yeah. <laughs> uh, about like six or seven of those are already recorded i just need to edit them but yeah pretty much Every Thursday, you're going to hear me uh, talking about an episode of Cheers, uh, except I'll, I'll take a few little breaks around the holidays because I'm going to have some Halloween specials of other shows like Fire and Water Records, Midnight the Podcasting Hour. Uh, and then in December, Fire and Water Records and Midnight the Podcasting Hour will be back, um, as well as a few other, you know, just kind of like little fun things that I might have. But yeah, yeah, um, Cheerscast will be the go-to, but yeah, you'll hear me on uh, some other shows uh, in the next couple months, too. Awesome. Uh, I'll let you get back to recording and editing then. Yeah. After another short pause, uh, I'll come back with feedback from our last episode, you know, from like 14 months ago. <laughs> Afternoon, everybody. Ryan! How's that baby treating you, Mr. Daly? Like Thanos snapping his fingers at my bank account. In that case, how about a beer on the house? Sure. Got to give my mouth something to do between podcasts. Say, Ryan, I don't get how you have so much time for podcasting. Doesn't your wife want you spending time with the baby? Would you? (laughs) Truth is, I think she's a little worried about how much time I'm spending with the kid, ever since his first words were Dagobah system. (laughs) Now she wants me to go out and do something mature, something productive, and most of all, something lucrative that can support the family. So you're going to... Podcast about cheers, yeah. 
That kid's not going to start college for 18 years. I got time. (laughs) Cheerscast, the podcast where everybody knows your name. Coming soon to the Fire and Water Network. This is it, your feedback from episode 8, which was just general Game Master advice. General, but applicable to superhero gaming in particular. Uh, Ange, our good friend, says, Great show. I've been gaming with the same crew since high school, moving from D&D to the DC RPG back to D&D. We have had the same characters for about 10 years, gaming about four times a year. That's a good record. A couple of things you said resonated with uh, what my DM has done. First, when we started up, we decided every character needed a backstory. Everyone had to write a one or two page origin so that you had a sense of who everyone was as they were put together as a team without knowing each other. My character grew up as a war rat, uh, was cured, and is filled with some self-loathing for what he was then. Became a lycanthrope hunter. Strives to be a hero, but is flawed, occasionally slipping into rage, but was a well-known warrior. And second, the DM sprinkled in side plots about each character in the campaign based on their history. So the main plot, uniting lost powerful artifacts, was sometimes derailed by a character-driven mini-arc. Everyone got the chance to shine. Mine was a tribe of were-rats seeking me out for revenge. And third, at one point, the main plot was done. The artifacts indeed united. We all loved our characters enough to ask for a sequel keeping them together rather than rolling up new characters to make things fun rather than just start a whole new arc. He had each character have a three or four hour solo adventure. Everyone was there to see what other characters were going through. At the end of the solo mission, the DM elevated everyone one level, but gave them a level in a prestige character class for their success. So my fighter got a level in Street Fighter, something I would never have picked on my own. Fourth, Fallout from those side missions became subplots for a sequel, which we are in now. And fifth, while not giving us bonuses, we did name the group and gave our characters titles and nicknames. Having been successful in the first mission, our group had some clout and recognition in this world, so people know the Terror Tellers, and they know Mordant, the Razor Wielder, based on the magic sword I use. Anyways, as always, a fun episode. Yeah, in one of my favorite uh, campaigns, which was not superhero-based, Savage Worlds Evernight, the group did choose to become known as the Order of the Shovel, based on the shovel-slamming action very early on when they helped the town out with its rat infestation. I'm sorry for your rat brothers, Ange. But really, it's something you can't plan for. It just becomes some sort of inside joke and folk tale within the group. So use it. Make it part of your campaign. Make it as important as it was around the table. Chris Franklin says, interesting episode. Shows like this make me want to game, but finding a group of people around here who would be into it is impossible. Love the idea of working in the big crossover events and setting campaigns in Elseworlds. Max Traver wants to chime in here saying he feels that pain as well. He says, haven't actually had a regular gaming group in years now and I miss it. The likelihood of getting into a new one is slimmer than Flatman of the Great Lakes Avengers. He also says he absolutely loved the idea about adding mechanical bonuses for descriptors and nicknames. It's the kind of thing that adds to the game in many ways, but doesn't slow it down at all. Now, if only I had a group to try it on. 
We also have Brian Linton saying, great episode. My one and only attempt at being a game master occurred when I was around 12 years old. I tried to GM a MURP, that's the Middle Earth role-playing game, adventure with my brothers who were around 9 and 5 years old. It's pretty young. Although I think my kid brother was, wasn't very old when he got into MURP himself. I think he's got like a pretty complete collection of that game. Anyway, he says, the session ended tragically when my nine-year-old brother stormed off in tears after his character was gored to death by a wild boar. In retrospect, I probably should have fudged that last critical role. Well, MURP is a pretty a gruesome game with tables that tell you exactly your wounds. Uh, he says, I've never had the good fortune to find a tabletop role-playing group. My now considerably older brothers and I do meet up online once a week to play an MMORPG together. So I take some solace in the fact that that didn't sour them completely on role-playing games. Still, completing an entire tabletop role-playing game adventure is on my bucket list. And he also says that Merp was his first RPG, uh, the one that Aver bought, but shortly thereafter, he did buy West End's uh, Star Wars RPG, uh, which uh, Ryan was just talking about earlier, and TSR's Marvel RPG, either of which would have been easier games to start with. Unfortunately, I was young, foolish, and really into Tolkien at the time. Uh, and I completely get it, Brian, because my first uh, <laughs> RPG was something called Fantasy Wargaming. It's a frequently obtuse game available from, uh, it was available from the Science Fiction Book Club, which was I was uh, subscribed to. I sort of use it as, you know, for the character sheets. And then I basically homebrewed everything else because I just didn't get it. I, all I had was like a monster manual from the AD, the original AD&D and uh, Deities and Demigods. Uh, and they were my only books, and then I converted whatever, the names in there, the names of spells, the, the names of monsters, whatever I could imagine they might convert to, and uh, just went with that. And then at some point, we converted to a little-known game called Arcanum, which was the ancestor of Talislanta. Uh, and then I, I finally finished high school. There was a store that finally opened just across the border in Maine from my town, and uh, then started running proper AD&D, and very soon I was into other games like DC heroes and dream park and gerps and paranoia and i mean the list goes on boston moss says i agree uh, that the descriptors and nicknames idea has some merit i may have to work that in though it may take some tweaking since most of my gaming groups uh, insist on playing the hero system which uh, i ciscoid uh, personally find much too crunchy boston goes on he says i'm lucky enough that i have a group that meets almost weekly and unlucky enough to have no life to preempt playing an rpg almost weekly most of our adventures are supers with a healthy amount of sci-fi thrown in an idea for future episodes how do you throw your players a curve when you've known them for decades and you and they know how each other think and I have to say, uh, if you go to fireandwaterpodcast.com and go to that discussion, I uh, I put up a link to an article that I wrote on my blog that was inspired by Boston Moss's question. He comes back with another thought for a future episode, how to get more younger people into pencil and paper RPGs. This hobby is being supplanted by computer and video games. While those are great fun, they don't really serve the same function as being together in a shared storyline unique to your group. And with a computer game... You never get the experience of GMing, which is a different skill from being a skilled role player. We also have Shag, my partner on this, who uh, wasn't part of that episode. So he chimes in. He says, fantastic episode. Loved all your GM nuggets of wisdom. In my own superhero campaigns, I had a set of interview questions for each character. It was a two-page document that asked questions about their lives. It really forced the players to think about who their character was 
before and after they got powers. I always warned them up front, whatever answers they gave I would be using as ideas for subplots, and the players loved it. So much of their backstory would end up becoming crucial character moments. Yeah, that's really one of the, the, the joys of superhero gaming. You have to, to lean into that comic book stuff. And I often found that my games were akin to a Len Wein script. So you had your, your, your main adventure, but you also had like these random pages of slow burning subplots when you look at his like Spider-Man run or his Blue Beetle. And then of course it becomes a big adventure. Uh, it becomes a big moment. So that, that was my approach and it was Shag's as well. Uh, and then finally Pointless Ephemera says, I love the episode. Always happy to hear another installment. He says, I agree that having super campaigns in past continuity can really work well. Both my Marvel phaser rip campaigns were set in the eighties as well as having write-ups for most of the characters who were active, there's the benefit that there's barely any cell phones or internet, meaning the heroes have to hit the streets if they want to find out anything. For future episodes, could we maybe have something on um, West End Games' DC game, DC Universe, so that all three have been covered? And on that, uh, you know, I've been on Shag to do it because he ran a DCU game for uh, a good while. I'm sure it's only a matter of time if he can convince one of his former players to to sit down with him and, you know, bug him about it. <laughs> and that's it for us. Uh, I do remind you that if you want to leave comments, fireandwaterpodcast.com is the place to do it. But you can also look at the Fire and Water Facebook page or uh, on Twitter, the account is FW Podcast. I also need to tell you that we now have a Patreon page. So if you want to support the Fire and Water Podcast Network and its massive hosting fees, we've got more than a thousand we got you know hundreds and hundreds of episodes out from various shows by now that costs money so if you want to help us out you can go to the to, to patreon it's uh www.patreon.com slash fw podcasts and uh for just a buck a month uh that's enough support to get some real engagement with us and uh you can sort of help us decide where the shows are going through various polls that we'll be putting up and then from two dollars five dollars ten dollars i mean there's always all these levels, you know, what level player character are you? Uh, we'll find out if you decide to support us on Patreon. And if you do, much thanks. Thanks again to Ryan Daly for having spent uh, a portion of his day with me to talk about Black Canary and Zatanna. Uh, hey, if you have a what I call a fetish character, which has nothing to do with any kind of stockings fetish in this case, uh, you know, if you've been running a blog or a podcast about a certain DC character and you'd want to discuss its uh, DC Heroes stats with uh, Shag or I, just, just drop us a line, whichever host you are most comfortable with, and we'll make some arrangements. We'd love to match your expertise with ours. So until next time, let's roll. <laughs>